We are looking at the people of Jerusalem as, as they go through three gatherings, a gathering of revelation, a gathering of celebration, and a gathering of confession. We still rhyme. We still got it. All right. Um, I'm curious, too, as, as we start into this, uh, have you ever accomplished something, something that you've worked really hard, spent a lot of time and effort into? And as you approach the, the final stages of it, all of a sudden, what you expected to realize is a little bit different from what you actually find. I know for me, there's a time a couple of years ago when I'd, I'd started this school journey, and I'd, I'd taken three classes back to back to back as I began that summer, and it, w- it was a lot. It's it was, a lot. was pretty intense for a while. Uh, and as I came to the end of, of that season, uh, of course, I learned a lot of really good stuff from the courses and all that sort of stuff, but what really stood out at me was something I hadn't expected to find. And it was this idea of how much I really valued my family, how much uh, I really, I, I actually learned a lot about how I processed and processed stress, for example. I learned about, a lot about God and his faithfulness and his provision and, and who I was in, in ways that really surprised me. I wasn't expecting to find that. Hmm. I'm curious because as we approach this text in Nehemiah 8 and 9, my sense is we're going to find something similar, that there's this big goal they've been working towards. This wall has been one of the major plot uh, fillers of the story so far. And as we move through this, actually, Brad kind of highlighted this for us last week. It's in chapter 6 that they finished the wall. They, they built it. They accomplished it. And now we're moving into a new season of, of what we're expecting to find and it's going to be a little bit different than what we had first anticipated, I, I dare say. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's jump in. As you said, there's three gatherings, the gathering of, of revelation, of celebration, and of confession. So let's read a little bit, starting in Nehemiah 8, verse 1, about this first gathering. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. So what sticks out for you, T, as, as we approach this gathering? As, as the people gather, it's, there's an emphasis on all the people. Hmm. It's they're, they're all the people who can understand, and yeah. they're just kind of gathered in the water gate to read the book of the law. Yeah. Yeah, and it's this sense of, of everyone's... We're, we're primed at this point, by the way, we should have said to expect a dedication of the wall, because... Anytime, anytime you, you got something big you just built, you want to show that sucker off, right? And uh, they all gather here. Everyone, old, young, nationals, foreigners, everyone together. To understand. We, we don't have time to read through this whole first gathering. It goes all the way down verse 12. But there's this repetition several times that they are gathered here to understand God deeper. And they start off by by reading the book of the law, the first five books of the Bible. 
And as we get closer down to the bottom, all of a sudden we see that they are moved with this deep emotional outpouring of, of tears of mourning even, as all of a sudden something happens. Uh, it just strikes me that this deep point of emotion is coming from somewhere. As, as they read the book of the law, maybe for the first time, I wonder for how many of them this is the first time reading this, or at least the first time understanding. Maybe they've heard this story before, but it's just gone in one ear and out the other. And, and for the first time, they're starting to understand what this is all about. Hmm. I know as we read the, the Bible, it, it still has meaning and importance in our lives today. Hmm. And we find ourselves in the stories among the Bible. Yeah. And perhaps as the people are reading from the book of the law, they see that they see themselves in the story of their ancestors. Mm. Yeah. We, we talk about this book being living and active. God breathes. That this is God's own story he's written for us to reveal himself to us, who he is and, and who we are. And as we read this story and interact with it, we find that God is living and active and among us. You're right. I, I wonder for these people as, as they read the story, God is living and active and among them in a new, fresh way that they hadn't realized before. Hmm. And all of a sudden, as God shows up in and among his people, as he reveals himself to them, they can't help but respond emotionally and, and just in a few other ways we'll get into that. They, they just can't help but respond to the greatness of who God is and who they are. So this first gathering of revelation of God, it, it leads them to hunger and thirst for more. So if we read in chapter 13, they move into a second gathering. Yeah. On October 9th, the family leaders of all the people, together with the priests and Levites, met with Ezra the scribe to go over the law in greater detail. As they studied the law, they discovered that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in shelters during the festival to be held that month. So as they've hungered and thirsted for more, for more of who God is, yeah. they, they move into this new celebration, one of, sorry, they move into this new gathering, one of celebration. Yeah. Well, it, it strikes me, this is what we call the, the festival of booths or of shelters. Um, and it remembers the time when their ancestors, back during the days of the Exodus, if you remember that far back, when God had, had brought them out of Egypt and led them to the promised land. And that didn't all happen in one night, though. There was actually this period of 40 years in between where they wandered through the wilderness. And in that whole time, they, they had these makeshift tents and, and shelters and whatever. And yet God provided every single day, along every single step of the way, God continued to provide for them. And so this festival is, is both a, a throwback and also a remembrance of that time. But I, I can't help but wonder, as they connected into their story, just as God had brought them out of, out of slavery and exile in Egypt, so God has just brought them out of exile in Babylon and brought them back to the promised land. And, and they've kind of been living in these makeshift shelters and tents. They haven't even had a wall until recently. And yet God has been faithful to provide for them every step of the way. And... It says that, verse 16, then they, they go out and they cut down branches, they use them to build shelters 
on the roofs of their houses and their courtyards and the courtyards of the temple. Everywhere they can find a place of land. They, they erect these shelters as they remember and celebrate what God has done and is continuing to do. And it says they celebrate with great joy. They hadn't celebrated this festival with this much exuberance since the days of Joshua when they first entered the promised land. And I, I can't help but imagine, like, what would that have looked like or sounded like or smelled like as, as Jerusalem comes alive with light and life for the first time forever? Something I notice is that they're having this great celebration, this celebration of God. Yeah. Not the wall. No. But it's kind of a little odd, hey? They, it seems odd. I mean, if I'm doing a wall dedication party, I mean, we're, we're going to have selfies in front of the wall. You know, look, Mom, that's, that's the party I made. Maybe autograph it or I don't know what kind of wall games you play. Jenga, get out the Lego blocks, something, right? Um, they're, they're doing none of that. They're gathering for this deep desire to understand God. Hmm. For God to reveal himself, and they celebrate that. But it's almost as if they're dedicating not the wall, but themselves into the people of God. So, to bring it back to your story at the beginning, you went in expecting to learn about the classes. Yeah. And you did learn about the classes. But you also learned about yourself. Yeah. So perhaps for these people, they, they go in expecting a wall dedication, but instead they find themselves a people dedication. Yeah, as if they're saying, you know, it never was about the wall. The wall was the plot character, but what was really being built was ourselves as a people of God. That's what's first and foremost in this text, in this story. Hmm. We see this as, as we continue on into the third gathering. We've gone through the gathering of revelation, the gathering of celebration, and now as we move into chapter 9, we see the gathering of confession. On October 31st, the people assembled again. That's like two days after this festival of booths. They, they gather again, and this time they fast and they dress in burlap and sprinkle dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshipped the Lord their God. There's a few things that strike me out of, out of this section. Uh, we had just accentuated before that they gather all together. And now they're, they're kind of separating themselves. And I, I have to think this... This isn't necessarily a thing of exclusivism or racism or, or things of that nature, as so much as it is that they are moving into a time of confession, of, of national confession and saying, we have messed up and we got some things to take care of before God. We talk in soul care, some of our river practices, about doing a, a lifelong confession. And they move a little bit deeper than that into this whole history confession space. As we read through the chapter, they move into this long prayer of worshiping God and also admitting their people's sins, starting in creation. Yeah. Well, a couple of things that strike me out in this passage, too. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit in, starting in verse 
30, because all, all throughout, they're, they're proclaiming the greatness of who God is and the ways in which they've messed up. Mm-hmm. And starting in verse 30, we say, In your love, God, you were patient with them for many years. You sent your spirit, you warned them through the prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So once again, you allowed the peoples of the land to conquer them. But in your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. And now, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love, do not let all the hardships we have suffered seem insignificant to you. Great trouble has come upon us and upon our kings and leaders and priests and prophets and ancestors, all of your people, from the days when the kings of Assyria first triumphed over us until now. Every time you punished us, you were being just. We have sinned greatly, and you gave us only what we deserve. There's so much richness and depth in, the, in this whole passage. But one of the things that jumps is, is both this keeping this greatness of God front and center hmm. while saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The other piece is realizing that these are the people who have come back from exile because of the sins of their ancestors. And yet never once have they placed blame or name drop and said, that was you, that was you. And there's, let's be honest, there's lots of places they could point to, lots of names they could drop. And they don't do any of that. It reminds me when, when Kirk was talking on week one through Nehemiah chapter one, when Nehemiah humbles himself and says, on behalf of my ancestors and my people, I am sorry. He hasn't done anything wrong, but he says, I am sorry. And he takes ownership of that family history they're doing the same thing here. They haven't done anything wrong. Well, perhaps. It's these people who are paying the consequences for the sins of their ancestors coming and saying, but it's our story too. And I'm sorry. And I need to own that. Hmm. It's just so humbling. Hmm. As I look through this prayer, the, the part that strikes me as strange is the end of the prayer. The last sentence that they give is, we serve them at their pleasure and we are in great misery. <laughs> and, and that's the end of it. They just, mm. we are miserable. Yeah. Strikes you a little bit odd. <laughs> yeah. How so? As it, it just feels unsatisfying. Mm. Like, it doesn't end with a nice amen. Yeah. Yeah. But as they gather these three times, we mentioned before that it's a people dedication. And as they gather for this third time in confession, it seems like a promise that they're making. Mm. That we're not, we don't want to just mess up again and again because we're noticing a pattern here. Yeah. So God, will you please help us do it right? Yeah, as if they're coming back and saying, it never was about the wall. It's about allowing God to build, to, to rebuild us as his people. And so they're coming back to dedicate or rededicate themselves as his people, realizing that they need to keep God front and center in this whole process through it all. Hmm. So Tia, as we move forward from here, we've we've notice this pattern through the three gatherings of revelation, of celebration, and confession. 
How does this apply to MJAC? Where do we, as a, as a community, as a family of God, go from here? You said this word center, and it reminded me of the scripture that Pat read at the start of the service. Uh, as it starts with these profound words, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builder is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It has this idea of unless God is at the center, you're just going to mess up again. Yeah. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious here, as, even as we start into this psalm, we're, in started, we're invited to think of Solomon as we read this psalm. Solomon was one of the guys that they could have name-dropped back in their prayer in Nehemiah 9. He was king during the glory years of Israel. And he had a number of, of really cool building projects, a temple being the biggest of them, but yet he handed off a legacy to his kids of a fractured and broken kingdom instead. And there's, there's this little play on words too around house that we're invited to think of. There's a story in 2 Samuel 7 where David, Solomon's dad, comes to God and says, you know, God, I've just finished building myself a house, meaning a palace, now, I want to build you a house, meaning a temple. And God says to David, that's nice. But what I really want to do is build you a house, meaning a legacy, meaning a dynasty. And all those ways we can think of a house, we find them here in Psalm 127, where, where we read that unless God builds our house, our individual lives, it's wasted. That God also longs to build our communities, our cities, the, the places around us, our society. And at the same time, God longs to be the center of our families, of our legacies. That in each sphere, God longs to be at the middle, building alongside as we rebuild and rededicate ourselves into his people. Hmm. As we come back as people of MJAC, uh, following the pattern of the people in, in Nehemiah 8 and 9. What, what does that look like for us, T? As the people of Jerusalem read about God and God was revealed to them, they longed and thirsted for more. Hmm. And then they went and celebrated God. And then they went and confessed hmm. their sins and sins of their ancestors as a way to say, like, here on in, God, I want you to be at the center. Hmm. I wonder if that's part of it. As, as we consider our space as MJAC, as, as people of God, to come and to gather again, uh, to understand with this deep desire and hunger like they had, to understand who God was and who they are. Hmm. And based on that understanding, to move into the space of celebration, of obedience to God too and then to move into the space of confession and worship together uh, there's a couple things that hit me that oftentimes we think of these as individual things that I'm going to do on my own and yet these are things that they gather together to do as a community hmm. and I think there's value in that also I can't help but be challenged because there's a way that as we've been talking as an MJAC community about these four truths of 
you know, we need to repair our finances, we need to repair relationships, we need to repair our reputation. And it's going to take time to do all of those things. There's a way that I can interact with each of these four truths and say, Amen and Amen, but that happened long before me. Uh, I wasn't around for all that stuff of MJAC. I'm, I'm fairly new on the scene. And actually, that doesn't help. Because just as they humbled themselves and said, this is our story as a family, as a people. Actually, this is my story too. I've been grafted into this MJAC family. And this is my story too. And so for all the good times and the bad times, I need to worship and celebrate with God and also say, I'm sorry for the ways that I have continued into this family pattern and the ways that I have, have messed up and owned my family story. It's, it's humbling. We're going to invite the worship team to come up in a minute. And as we do, I invite you to consider what are the ways that you can gather, whether you're here in person or whether you're at home in your gathering. And the ways that you can lean into this deep desire and, and hunger for more of God. For God to reveal himself. And as he does, to celebrate what God is revealing about who he is and who you are. And I invite you, with those in your gathering, to move into a time of worship and confession together. T, would you close us in a word of prayer? Hey God, once again, I would like to thank you for the opportunity we've had to listen to your word this morning. Uh, God, please let us respond in a way that is faithful to you. And may we, may we take this and remember to live with you at the center of our lives and our hearts and our communities. Amen.